Podcasting from a small town in the Bible Belt, you're listening to the Environmental Christian Podcast. No, that is not an oxymoron. It's a podcast for environmentalists and Christians and Christian environmentalists and environmental Christians. Just keep listening. It's a podcast for you. Hey, y'all. I've invited some experts from the Center for Religion and the Environment from the University of the South and Sewanee to take over the podcast for the next month or two. This first podcast with Jerry Kappel and Dr. Robin Gottfried is about a theology of beauty. Let's listen. My name is Jerry Kappel. I have with me today Dr. Robin Gottfried. We want to talk today about a new book that has just come out from Robin called The Audacious Great Singing School Adventure. It is a fable, and we'll be talking about that. Um, And we'll be talking about how this fable can be useful and helpful to you. So um, let me ask you, Robin, how did this book come to be written? As I read more and more theology in, uh, in the environmental area, it's called environmental theology or creation inclusive theology, which is the term I prefer, I started seeing that uh, this was just amazingly rich and it, it enlivened my faith. It, it got me excited when I shared some of these ideas with students. They got excited. It, it, um, in a time of ecological uh, crisis in many ways, uh, the faith that I grew up in suddenly took on a whole new meaning and a whole new depth that I never knew was there. And so I got hungry for how can I share this with people. And so as a good academic, I thought, well, I'll write a book. Why not write a book? I was also getting near to retirement, so I went to a retirement seminar. And uh, over lunch, I happened to be sitting next to the uh, retreat leader, and I uh, I just shared my idea that I wanted to write this book for lay people in an accessible language um, about um, creation-inclusive theology. And he got all excited. He's a psychologist, but he got all excited about this. He said, well, Robin, that's great. So what you need to do is start by writing a blog. Okay, I'll, I'll think about it. And I got home. It was a weekend retreat. I got home and on Sunday and checked my email. And wouldn't you know it, there was an email from the Huffington Post asking if I wouldn't be willing to blog on religion and environment for them. Now, it's kind of like a sign being dropped from heaven. How could I refuse? So I said, sure, why not? <laughs> so I went and quickly read blogs, trying to figure out what they were, and started blogging. Well, I found much to my surprise that um, it taught me a lot about writing. 
and how to find my own voice, how to, how to speak as Robin as opposed to as an academic economist. And uh, I got excited about writing and, and communicating ideas to people in ways that they could appreciate and understand. So I thought, okay, but I couldn't get around to the book. I was blogging and doing things for the center and couldn't get to the book and couldn't get to the book. And meanwhile, I'm praying and, and um, uh, asking, well, gosh, you know, I feel like I'm really supposed to write this book, but how do I get around to it? And um, wait, 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 wait was going to seem to be what was going on. And then after a while, I came to realize that I wasn't supposed to write kind of an academic book for lay people. I was supposed to write a story. Now, I've never written stories before. Uh, and creative writing, I think, is marvelous, but I've never done it. But I realized that stories have a way of capturing people's imaginations and saying things in ways that grab their attention far more than just giving them a bunch of ideas. And it's, it, art is art, and art speaks to the heart. So I thought, okay, so I'll write a story, and, and then where does one start? Well, uh, I've been always interested in the idea of the Trinity. The Trinity is a, um, and, uh, the fathers, early church fathers, talked about the Trinity as a dance, where three people are weaving together and so, so much intertwined in their dance that they become the dance. They become, become one entity. And um, there's a well-known theologian that talks about uh, the Trinity being a fugue. Three parts, three musical parts intertwining and moving together, kind of like Bach fugues. So then he uses the fugue metaphor. So I thought, oh gosh, that's pretty neat. But to me, there's an improvisational element involved. So how, how, how what would you do that? I thought, well, there's bluegrass. I live in bluegrass country down here in Tennessee. And I play old-time traditional music, but you know, even in, in traditional music, there's not much bat much improvisation. But uh, in bluegrass, there is. But somehow I thought, but somehow that still didn't quite do it. And then I thought about jazz. But jazz is improv can be improvisational, uh, in uh, perfectly. So I, what about a jazz trio? And that started me off. And so that's how I ended up writing this story. It took a lot of help from a lot of people to teach an economist how to write a story, and I got a tremendous amount of help. And, uh, uh, I, and in the process, I just grew tremendously in my own faith, excited about, uh, uh, about uh, the characters they took on their own life. And so uh, that's how this story came about. And I noticed in the title that you've landed on the word <laughs> fable. So how is it th that this is, what, what is a fable and why that? A fable to me sounds like a story. It's telling a story, and but it, fables also can, you know, have kind of a magical, fun context to them. Uh, Aesop's fables—they tell a story, and and there's there's a meaning to this fable, but it, to this story, but it's it's uh, nobody thinks that it's uh, realistic in in, in the um, superficial sense, but it's very realistic in a deep sense. And so I thought a fable maybe actually describes what I'm trying to do here, uh, creating something that's fun, that people will enjoy, but at the same time uh, has a lesson to it. Well, perhaps the best way to give people a feel for this is to read a little bit. So. Sure. The Trio. This is the first chapter. The story begins with the music. 
It can't start with once upon a time because time hadn't begun yet. The music, however, had been going on forever. And oh, what music. This music only resembled what we think of when we hear that word. It could transport listeners to places they never knew existed, to totally new planes of existence. The home jazz trio, a bassist, singer, and drummer, had been playing together forever. If there had been a hall, their music would have been lit up, dancing about like sparks off those big old crystal globes that used to hang up in ballrooms. If you had been there, you just would have had to jump up and start dancing. Your body would have started to sway, your toe would have started tapping, and soon you've been off doing the two-step or whatever struck your fancy. Music moving through you, in you, between you, and those around you. Everyone swaying to the rhythm, singing along, swept up in the tidal wave of melody. However, no one but the trio was around. Each member of the trio contributed something unique and vital. If it weren't for the bass player, the one the other two affectionately called Big Bass, there'd have been no music, for the bassist provided the trio with its unending stream of new ideas. It's where the music started. You could even say the bassist was creativity itself. The singer knew Big Bass so well that he picked up the bassist's ideas with just the slightest change in the bass line and then expressed them, giving them form and substance. When the vocalist sang, you would have suddenly heard ideas that had no words, but that, ran, but that ran far deeper than words could ever express. It would have said what you had always known to be true. Singer made Big Bass's ideas real. Then there was the drummer. Drummer held the trio together with undulating, pulsating rhythms that just called ideas out of Big Bass and drove Singer to give them life. Drummer never called attention to herself delighting rather in animating her colleagues, inspiring them to listen and respond to one another, to work as a tightly knit community that always went where they hadn't gone before. You need to keep in mind that this was music. When you heard it, it was alive. You didn't hear only a good bass line, melody, and rhythm all feeding off one another. You heard the song, something far beyond the sum of all its parts. Hearing the song, you could almost see three shapes twirling, intertwining, swirling about, responding to each other's movements. The members of the trio, in many ways, were the weaving in and out of the bass line, melody, and rhythm, each part in a way formed by its listening and responding to the others. Leaping totally into the mix, they played with abandon, throwing inhibition out of the proverbial arena and responding with endless delight to what they heard call and response, shout and amen. Never thinking of themselves, they lived for music and for each other. They were music, alive, passionate, and unendingly moving. If we saw humans so intensely, selfishly interested in others like this, so full of life, we probably would think they were crazy. But that's what the home jazz trio was like. Music never kept to a status quo. If they had been there, Hearers who liked easy listening music that stayed unobtrusively in the background would have heard insistent melodies and intrusive percussion that got into their faces and demanded that they pay attention. Those addicted to songs with driving rhythms with harsh vocals would have experienced long flowing melodic lines that called them to profound stillness. The serious intellectual sorts would have been invited to jump up and dance the chicken strut, hopping about the joyful childlike ditties. 
The thing about music is that it never left you alone. It met you where you were and challenged you to go someplace new. But we're talking like there were listeners. We've gotten ahead of ourselves. All right, that's a great start. <clears throat> and it's pretty clear that music is a central metaphor. Yes. That plays to this whole fable. Uh, so what's it? What, what is it? <laughs> we, we, we get the players. We, we see the trinity in the players. Um, what's the music? I think uh, to steal a definition of art and apply it to music, music is that which is taught in hearts all around the world. Uh, uh, art, they say, is that which is taught in art departments around the world. Music is something you know when you really hear it. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a concert, say, uh, or listened to a recording, but concerts perhaps particularly, and ever and just had some sort of experience where you were transported. And somehow it spoke deeply to you. you can, I think that when you see a sunset where you're just in awe and you just sense God's presence, you've experienced music. Wendell Berry talks about the song in his, in his poems. He dedicates, he talks about the song, uh, and I've seen a book dedicated to the song. And actually, I dedicated my first book to the song also. The song is something that runs underneath everything for me. And uh, I think it's also interesting that um, scientists and anthropologists are, who are studying music and the neurobiology of music are starting to ask if music isn't what makes us human. Uh, there's been one study, for instance, where uh, they took people drumming and they had everybody drum together and they were measuring their brain waves and they found that all their brain waves aligned when they were drumming. So the hypothesis is that uh, making music in this very fundamental sense of even just doing rhythm together uh, enables us to work together as a people and that's what enabled humans to survive because they didn't have big teeth and strong or fast limbs and to survive they had to work together and music is perhaps which enabled us to survive in our uh, at that time very hostile environment. So what other major themes get woven through this fable? What will we find and discover as we encounter it? For me, creation is very important because the song runs through everything, through the sunsets, through the water, uh, through the birds, through, uh, through people. And we encounter God every place. And this is actually a very old concept in uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that God is present in all things. And that's another story for another time. But um, uh, so I, I feel it's very important to talk about God's love for all things, that God loves the, the ticks, God loves the water, God loves me and you, God loves the doggy, uh, God even loves the earthquakes, and, there's, and God's love is uh, permeating all things. So including creation into everything is very important because a God, if you love, you don't exclude anything. And therefore, we have to broaden our vision of what uh, God's about and, and take a look at creation, too. So another thing that happens in the fable is one a reader would recognize this uh, parallel with the, with the gospel story and the encounters that Jesus has with the, the folks around him and the world uh, that he had come uh, to incarnate in and, uh, and so on. So that those kind of themes repeat themselves here as well. That's right. This is this, it's a retelling of the, 
what I think of as the whole gospel story, starting with Genesis and working our way to, the, uh, uh, to Revelation. Then the entire scripture, the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible, uh, is all one long creation story of God's love affair with all things, with all creation, and the way God interacts with it. So this fable is telling that story. So f particularly for us, then we come, and we, we, we need to talk about what is creation and what's a creative God like. And uh, we, I think we sometimes miss the mark when we talk about God as creator, so we think God made everything and stuck it on a shelf. Uh, but rather, God, creative people love to create. They don't stop creating. Well, if God is creativity itself, what does that mean? And so, uh, and, and what does the incarnation mean when you start seeing that God is as, as uh, 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 one saying, I'm locking on, St. Catherine of Siena said, um, called God a mad lover. If God is a mad lover, wh wh what does this incarnation mean? And if God loves all things, what is this incarnation we talk about so blithely at Christmas time? It's actually far deeper and richer concept than I ever knew. And Pentecost takes on a whole new meaning. So it's a way of our uh, understanding our faith without having to use God language, because God language gets on our way many times. We have all these images and the ideas, and then we, we put them in a, a little cubicle and see them all and say, I understand that, uh, which is why we need to tell a story. Well, another th motif that shows up <laughs> right, in right. this is the is is for folks to have the eyes to see and especially the ears to hear. Um, what is it that uh, that this is drawing out? What is the hearing that we need to have? One one of the uh, the uh, Jesus protagonist, his name is Contigo, in in the fable, uh, is, is having to teach music to a bunch a motley crew, and uh, and so we talk about what kinds of people these students are. In there and, and the struggles Contigo has with, with teaching them music, but it's music with the big M, not the little music. So how do you get people to really make music that touches people's hearts as opposed to just sounds great? The difference between aesthetics and something that is truly, if you will, beautiful, that goes deep within you. And so he's struggling with this all the time. And so we have so he's trying to teach people, well, how do you develop ears? that truly are able to listen to one another, listen to the music that's deep within, and then communicate that. And that's basically what the Christian life or any uh, truly religious spiritual life is about. It's trying to find ways to become more transparent to the presence of the divine within us and allow that presence to come out to others and transform the world we live in. And that's what the gospel ultimately is about. But it's only what any religion is about. And so how do we allow ourselves to be transformed, to become musicians in the deep sense of the term, that then can go out and, and change the world about us by tapping into the music, to the song that's flowing through all things. So that's why it's an adventure in singing, uh, the great singing school adventure. How do we truly sing with the big S? How do we truly make big M music? as opposed to just kind of do the usual everyday stuff. Thank you, Jerry and Dr. Godfrey.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Environmental Christian. If you have a question or comment pertaining to the podcast or Christians in the environment, please send me an email at environmentalchristian at gmail.com or check out The Environmental Christian on Facebook. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.